For as long as we have lived For as long as we have known Love has carried us You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at www.genesiscov.org. Enjoy the teaching in it together. The scripture reading today is from 1 John 3, 1-7. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The word of the Lord. Killer Vance, I love those. <laughs> See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And they translated uh, that word children correctly. In other translations, older translations, you might see the word sons of God. But really, they meant men and women, sons and daughters. But in this one particular case, even though I am for gender equality on every level and gender neutral language where it is helpful, the word sons of God here might actually be more helpful. Let me tell you why. In the first century, and in the centuries that preceded that, it was a patriarchal society. That's why we would read that so-and-so was Larissa, son of Terry, not son, daughter of Terry, uh, Steve, son of Harold. That's how you organized your identity back in the first century, and there was no getting out of it. That was, that was what your identity was, was based on your lineage, and especially in a patriarchal society, you were the descendant of your father. Does that make sense? That's how you were known. And so, in this world where Jesus entered and died and rose again and radically re-altered the very fabric of how people are identified, uh, Paul wrote this in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. And it's from there that we are expecting a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when, when John writes, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called sons of God. Now again, sons and daughters, same thing. What, what John is doing is radically reorienting where it is that you get your sense of identity. Can I get it? Amen. This is radical. This is huge in a patriarchal society to say that my identity runs deeper and bigger than my physical father is completely subversive. 
It's crazy. And when we read it, we just, I mean, and it's, it's a beautiful verse, isn't it? I mean, I've loved this verse for years. 1 John 3, 1, children of God, amen, preach it. But in the first century, it would have, it would have felt not just like, oh, it would have felt like, can we say that? Can we say that? Really? And if someone would have tweeted that back in the first century, you would have had tons of back and forth, well, not really, and your, your father is this person, and we're, our father is Moses, and all the, there would have been all this back and forth and vitriol. Well, they probably would have been a lot more polite back then, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> now, today, we don't necessarily find our identity through our physical father, though some of us might. But here's our first all-play question. All-plays are designed to hear the voice of the chorus, not just the solo. What are some ways in which we might um, feel like who we are is set? What are some areas that we might say, well, because of this, I can never change? Race. Yes. Traditions. Yes. Sin. Yes. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> Bob, baldness. And they came right after Greg. So it's just so great. So great. <clears throat> but yeah, race, sin, baldness. I feel you. Age. What else? Economic background. Family baggage. Thanks, Steph. Neighborhood. Yes. Thanks, Joan. Education level, thanks, Charlie. There, there's lots of things. Maybe addiction, maybe divorce, maybe um, being single, being married. These things that, dang it, define us, right? And we read this, beloved, we are God's children now. That is our orienting reality. That is what we are. And so it's really, a sub, in this culture still, it is a subversive act to say, nope, I identify as God's child, God's daughter, chosen by God, forgiven by God, that I can live within God and that God can live within me. I mean, this is, this is radical. And it pushes out some of the ways in which we might identify ourselves. Um, some of the words we didn't say, disability, our, our father's abuse, or silence. Um, even let's just be. Let's just laugh for a second at Genesis. Even your enneagram number <laughs> is not the truest thing about you. Whoa! <laughs> That's like as close as I can come to a sacred cow around here. I think that we can talk about divorce. We could talk about sin. Don't touch the Enneagram. <laughs> but then in verse two, it writes, what we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this, when Jesus is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. This gives me hope because even though I can say, I am God's child now, I'm God's son now, I can find my identity with him now. I also am very aware that I am growing and I'm in a process. And it's 
you know, sometimes one step forward, seven steps back. Can I get an amen on that? I asked my son Isaac, we've been talking about baptism, um, and I asked him, well, what, you know, what do you think it means to, like, be a Christian or to follow Jesus? And he, he calls it following the way. That's what he calls it. And he goes, well, Dad, I think following the way um, is basically pointing yourself in the direction of God and Jesus, and if you fail, it's not the end of the story. So I'm like, and let me tell you, and I asked him for permission to share that, and he said yes, but Mary and I are like, are we even, like, are our kids even on the page, like, of, of following God and Christianity? Or like, are they even, we, we don't even know, we feel like we, we haven't necessarily done a great job with that, like, they don't have any idea about major things that we both had memorized back in the day. Uh, but then Isaac says this, I think it's pointing yourself in the direction of God and Jesus, and if you fail, it's not the end of the story. I think that's pretty good. I think that's pretty good. And what I hear in that, as it relates to, you know, what we will be and what we aren't now, and especially as we head into the next section of the passage about sin, uh, here's an all-play question. What does it mean to have self-compassion, my friends? What does that mean? To be able to give yourself grace, yes. Yeah, yes! <laughs> to just press pause on the rest of this passage and say, maybe when I'm 60, I'll be ready to read that. Actually, gang, I, we joke and we jest, but that's a good idea for, for, for someone. Like, if it's like, I can't, I, I honestly can't handle it. I, if I read that right now, I'm going to lose it. You, you can just press pause right there and, and say, God, help me when I'm ready to deal with that. Please be with me and lead me into that when I'm ready. Do you know that's, so thank you, Charlie. I would encourage that as a pastor. Like, you don't always need to be like, yeah, I'm plowing in, even though it's gonna totally wreck me. Sometimes it's good to be wrecked. Sometimes it's good just to allow God to gently lead you into that. Right, so what does self-compassion look like? Yes, Jenny, thank you. Being kind to yourself as you think about the spaces where you haven't done it well. And it's just like, you know, the old thing where if nine people give you a compliment and one person gives you a criticism and you think about the one thing, you, you most likely are giving yourself 99 criticisms to one compliment in your own mind. That, that's what's going on, <laughs> friends. So as you get frustrated with other people, it's mostly because, man, you got a, just a load of frustration for yourself and there's so much in there that it has to just leak out <laughs> onto other people. Right? So let's, let's move into that. And if you need to press pause, press pause. La, 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 la. <laughs> we read, everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that uh, he was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Now, we're mostly fine so far, right? I mean, that's not going to completely wreck most of our faith. Verse 6 is a train wreck. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. 1 John 3, 6. Let's, let's just cherry pick that verse. The problem is when you read 1 John 1, 8 and 9, just a couple of verses, chapters before, written by the exact same guy to the exact same congregation. Haynes preached on this a couple of weeks ago. We read this. 
If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is, he who is faithful and just will forgive give us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Furthermore, Jesus, when he encountered people in sin, and in particular the woman caught in, in adultery, uh, and people wanted to stone her, which was in the Bible, by the way. That's a verse in the Bible, too. So the Bible's super clear <laughs> on all things. Jesus said, all right, let you who is without sin cast the first stone. Implying, okay, e- even if she has sinned, so, so have you. So can we, can we drop the stones, please? So I think when John says, no one who abides in him sins, no one who, has, no one who sins has either seen him or known him, he can't mean that you, you, like if you're a Christian, you don't sin. Good Lutheran theology, which is what we come from, uh, talks about the fact that we are both saint and sinner <laughs> together in one identity. Uh, so what is sin? Let's talk about that. I'm going to call it essentially what we do when our good desires go bad. Okay? Sin is what we do when our good desires go bad. So Adam and Eve, they, uh, their, their sin was to, was to lose trust that God was going to provide for them. Because they already were like God. Like they, they didn't actually need, they were made in the image of God. So they, they didn't need to become like God. They already were. But then their kids were a train wreck. Cain and Abel, you know the story? So someone tell me in two sentences the story of Cain and Abel, please. Yeah, go ahead, Jackson. Okay. <laughs> the one guy, they were brothers. The one guy, Cain, kills the other guy, Abel, because he doesn't like him. Why doesn't he like him? Jealousy. Why is he jealous? Because Abel made a better offering to God. Okay? Any, anyone else want to add anything to this story? This is the first murder recorded in the scriptures. I'm sure Eve wanted to murder Adam, but didn't. <laughs> and vice versa. All right. So the story of Cain and Abel is that Cain worked the land and Abel was a shepherd. And so when it came time to offer things to God, Abel brought first fruits, we're red, and Cable brought, Cable, a, uh, Cain. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Cable. Abel, for his part, brought the firstlings or first fruits of his flock, their fat portions. Uh, but Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And then we read, um, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Question, why did God have no regard for Cain or his offering? He didn't bring his best. Didn't bring his first, okay? Anyone else? Wasn't true trust. Okay, anyone else? Something and not everything. Thanks, Greg. You're not wrong, and you're not wrong, and you're not wrong, but Greg is, is more not wrong. 
We're not told why. Gang, we're not told why. We are told that Abel brought the firstlings or first fruit, and we're told that Cain brought to the Lord an offering. Maybe it was the first fruit, maybe it wasn't. We're not told. Now, most scholars say because we're told that Abel brought the first fruit, that implies that Cain didn't. But the truth is, Greg is absolutely right. We don't know. So Cain gets angry and his countenance fell. Now, we love good guys and bad guys, don't we? Give me a good guy and give me a bad guy, and I know what to believe. But before the murder, talk to me about how you might counsel someone who came into your office who said, I feel like God is disappointed with me. How would you counsel them? Thanks, Jenny. You would ask them, why do you feel like God is disappointed in you? And they might say, because it's written in the Bible. <laughs> mm -hmm. Are you disappointed in you, Matt said? That would be a great follow-up question. You know, the truth is, this story says a lot of things, but the question that it raises for all of us is, what do you do when you think you're treated unfairly? Where do you go when you feel like you're not getting something you need? Everybody has a core need for love and belonging. Amen? That's why we read that, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And Cain for whatever reason, we read, in a way that is not explained, God did not accept his offering. And the place that Cain went was murder. And that feels, like, that feels so intense that we almost can't associate with it because I'm guessing <laughs> none of you have gone that far. I don't know. But we have our own cycle of sin, and this is, I think, what it looks like. Number one, I have a legitimate desire to belong and to be loved. Anyone disagree that that's a good desire? Two, when you feel like you don't have it, you hurt. And then you start to say, I need to not hurt this bad because I can't stand it. Any, anyone tracking? I need love and belonging. I'm not getting it. This really hurts. I need to not feel this way. So third movement is, if I take or do this, I will feel better. Now you insert any performance, any addiction, any affair, any flirtation with someone that's not your spouse, any success that you just need to get, any book that you need to write, any, just plug in anything. If I take, do, imbibe this, I'll feel better. And you know what? You do for a little bit. It works for a little while, right? It works for a little while. It's great. That buzz you get after that second bourbon, woo! Man, it feels good, in theory. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha. 
But here's where the cycle takes you. When you wake up in the morning after your thing, whatever your thing is, and it's not satisfying, and you feel worse, actually, you go, man, I need, I'm hungry for love and belonging. And man, not having it hurts. And I need to not feel this way. So I'm gonna take, do, ingest, imbibe this. I'm gonna feel better for a little while until I feel terrible. And then it gets me hungry again for love and belonging. Is the cycle making sense? Behold, what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of a God, and that is what we are. I don't know any other way to break through the ego need of trying to fix the problem on our own other than to radically reorient yourself within something that actually has the power to give you the love and belonging you need. And that's a mystery. And we can get up here and, and you, would have, you would have lots of stories about how you've tried that. I still feel like God's distant. And that's all part of the story and part of the journey too. And yet, I just have not found anything else that even comes close to starting to give me um, the satisfaction of love and belonging that I believe the creator of the universe gives. Um, marriage doesn't. Gets close on a great days, but it doesn't give that sense of love and belonging. Jobs don't. We know addictions don't. So, I don't have a real good wrap-up for this other than to ask you, are you in this story? Are you in this story? If you are, where will you take your hunger? We're going to move into 60 seconds of silence after which time Steph will come up, lead us through the prayers of response and then into the Eucharist. And during the Eucharist is the time uh, where you will be offered the opportunity to go ahead and sign, sign the charter. So feel free to do that as well. So come Holy Spirit, speak to us now.